Good morning. So, as, uh, as John kind of uh, outlined last week and introduced this new um, series on our strategic priorities, if you missed that, uh, do you listen to that for some introduction and, of course, for, uh, for last week's message as well, generally. Uh, but last week, John outlined our desire to grow in terms of numbers of people. Why? Because Jesus is keeping his promise to build his church. And that church continues to grow in numbers of people as he continues to add people to it. We want to be part of what Jesus is doing. And uh, as John said, this isn't necessarily about us becoming some kind of mega church. Uh, We want to be used as part of people's journeys, as they're brought to Christ for the first time or come back to him. We expect some of them to move on, and that's fine. Uh, This isn't about increasing the kingdom of... This is about, sorry. (laughs) This is about increasing the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Portswood Church. But important as, as that kind of numerical kind of growth is, it's not the only kind of growth that we desire. Let me tell you a story about a garden centre. Who doesn't love a good story about a garden centre? I can tell you're excited right now. Uh, well, uh, oh, is the, is the PowerPoint on, please? Yeah, okay. uh, Giant Greens uh, was a garden centre that set out to become the biggest garden centre in the south of England. And they came up with a strategy to grow the volume of their stock. They wanted to, to keep adding to the number of plants on shelves. And they achieved it. And they grew a massive offering of plants for sale. It was like no other garden centre you'd seen. Plants for as far as the eye could see almost. It was incredible what they achieved. It was huge. And Giant Greens had certainly grown their garden centre. Very successfully, some might say. But there was a problem. A big problem. Uh, their plants were pathetic. Uh, you know, no one wanted them. No one wanted to buy them. The plants had hardly grown at all. Uh, you know, ignore the ones at the beginning here. But the rest of them were just like, you know, just nothing. They were tiny, lifeless-looking plants. Straggly little shoots peering out of the soil. Hardly any leaves. No blossom. Certainly no fruit. No one was interested in Giant Green's garden centre's plants. Giant Green's had neglected what should have been their primary focus of growth. Not growth of numbers of plants, important though that may be. Primarily though, they should be focusing on growing plants. Plants that grow, nice plants with life and fruit and leaves and colours and and, and just plants that can be enjoyed. Plants as they're designed to be. Well, we don't want to be a giant greens church. Uh, we, by the way, if there, uh, no, um, uh, in this story, if there's any connection to, to real events, whatever they say, end of film sometimes, uh, that's uh, not intended. Um, I, I think I've made it up. I'm sorry if you know a garden centre called Giant Greens. I'm sure it's great. Uh, we don't want to be a giant greens church. We'd love to welcome many, many more people. But our focus is to see them along with those of us who are already here, growing as disciples of Jesus. As John explained last week, it's God who gives that growth. It's his work. But he does call us in to be a part of it. And growing in this sense is core to what we're about as a church. It's in our DNA, if you like. And as we've reflected and as a leadership and prayed as a leadership on our strategy, on how our vision might become a reality 
It was clear to us that a key strategic priority for us ought to be that people are growing in their relationship with God individually and together. We want to see that people are growing in their relationship with God individually and together. We want our hearts to be growing. Uh, And this is also reflected in another of our strategic priorities, uh, that our children and young people, specifically children and young people in church families, remain engaged and grow into adult disciples and bring new children, young people and their families in. Growing as disciples is key to our vision and key to our strategic priorities for the coming years. So what does this mean? I can picture what an increase in plants for sale at a garden centre looks like. I can picture what a growing plant looks like and, and what's involved. But what about growing disciples of Jesus? What does that look like? Well, this morning we're going to look at three areas that we want to be growing in as disciples of Jesus together. Firstly, we want to be growing in knowing. Uh, We looked last week at Ephesians 1, and just want to kind of pick up uh, a bit of that again this morning, Uh, particularly just a a prayer in chapter 1 of Ephesians 1. It's on page 1173, if you want to follow. Page 1173. Ephesians 1, and we're just going to look at verse 17. We looked at um, more verses around this last week, but just for this week. Verse 17 of Ephesians 1, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. And uh, prayer goes on to kind of explain a bit more about what that means. But here's this desire that the church know him better, that we're growing in our knowing. And uh, there's similar prayers elsewhere. In Colossians 1, uh, there's a prayer for God to fill you, the Colossians, the church, the believers, with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, growing in the knowledge of God. So again, there's this prayer that the church would be a church that's growing in their knowing. And uh, in in Ephesians itself, later on in chapter 4, it picks up this idea of reaching unity in the faith and reaching in knowledge of the Son of God. There's a kind of something to be reached there. We're on a journey of getting towards knowing the Son of God better. And this kind of goes throughout, and there's loads of other places we could have gone. But I want to begin this morning saying we need to be growing in our knowing, in our knowledge and our experience. To know God, one commentator has written on this Ephesians passage, in quite a simple sentence, to know God, which is unlikely, unusual for a scholar, to know God means to be in a close personal relationship with him because he's made himself known. We're in a close personal relationship as Lou was kind of helpfully pointing out in that uh, picture earlier on, it's about a relationship. We grow in our grasp of his revelation. Uh, God has made himself known to us. He's revealed himself so we can know him. And we grow in our grasp of that. We, we grow in our kind of understanding of what the revelation is. We grow in our 
uh, taking it in, in our kind of consumption, if you like, of what God has revealed about himself. And chiefly, that's in Jesus. Jesus is the one who's shown what God is like to us. And we do that by the help of the Spirit who illumines, illuminates everything that we kind of can learn and know about God. We grow in our grasp of this, growing in our knowledge. Similar to our other relationships and friendships, we can say that we get to know more about him. But we also grow in our knowledge of his will. We grow in, in our understanding of what his purposes are, of what pleases him, of what his desires are. And this is kind of tightly linked with the whole idea of, of knowing God. But it's not all about our head uh, knowledge in that sense. It's important. But also we grow in our experience of his relating to us. Uh, in our kind of relationships with people, we get that, don't we? Uh, we don't just kind of learn facts about each other. Oh, yes, uh, um, uh, Andrew, he's number 32. Um, he, I, you know, I know this, this, and this about him, and he's married to number 35, and she does this. And, you know, we're not kind of like just a load of facts, are we? We, we? we relate to each other. We experience each other. And so we grow in our experience of God as well as we grow in knowing him. So as we kind of think about this, maybe we might be thinking about how we're prayerfully reading the word. This is where we can find out chiefly about who God is, where he's made himself known. This is where his, his revelation is kind of really um, powerfully kind of hits home for us. As we read the word, the message about Christ in, in the Bible, are we prayerfully reading it, asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, asking him to, to illuminate the words of scripture, to show us Jesus, to show us the Father, to show us himself is working and grow in our knowing of God. It's, um, it's reassuring as we do that. It's reassuring and exciting because we discover the kindness and compassion of Jesus towards people who have messed up. We, we learn things about God. We learn that he's kind and compassionate towards those who've messed up. We discover the patience of Jesus with disciples who are slow to understand. We discover the mercy and grace of a God who invites us just as we are, accepts us, welcomes us, adopts us as his children in Christ. We discover the love of God in Jesus being sent and willingly coming to lay down his life for us so that we can be brought in to share all of this. He's an exciting God to know. It's, it's a thrilling thing. I hope if we're kind of tempted to think, oh, we've got to kind of do a bit more or whatever, let's kind of think, turn it round. Think of it as an exciting thing. What a God to get to know. It's encouraging to discover the power of God, the God who could calm the storms with the word, the God who could heal, the God who was raised to life after his crucifixion. The power of God that's available and at work in our lives. So we seek to soak up the message about Christ and in so doing pray for the Spirit's help. And uh, you know, we might find a really helpful couple of questions to ask when we're doing this. Very simple, two questions. What is God saying to me? What am I going to do about it? When I'm reading and I'm praying and I'm asking for the Spirit's revelation, what is God saying to me? What am I going to do about it? And it's a community thing too. 
And it was really helpfully illustrated earlier, wasn't it? Poor Naomi. I shouldn't really talk about her because I think she's out the back now doing children's stuff. So, um, but obviously she was acting. Uh, but, you know, Naomi was just pouring out all her problems and just kind of, you know, she wasn't really doing so well relating to Jesus by herself, was she? But when Emma came and Emma could help her by reflecting back to Naomi what Jesus is like and together we'll find that we grow in our knowing better. It's a community thing. Uh, Colossians 3 uh, has this kind of really key uh, message of, it it says Colossians 3, let the message of Christ dwell among you, that's among the church, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This isn't uh, something that's referring to the preachers uh, or just to the preachers or just to the leaders of the churches. This is everyone, one another, encouraging, admonishing, teaching, instructing each other. Together, we can be able to grow in our knowing. Together, we can help and encourage each other to be growing in our knowing. Second area I want to think about this morning is growing in our obeying. And uh, just think, we probably need to kind of increase our emphasis on this, maybe, some of us. I think I do. At the emphasis of the importance of obedience. What do you think of when you hear the word obedience? Obedience isn't cool these days, is it? Maybe that's because our culture says anyone who, who's, uh, who, is, who is anyone else to tell me what to do or think. How dare you tell me what to do or think? It's up to me what I do and think. Uh, obedience isn't cool because it goes against our culture, perhaps. Or maybe that's because obedience is somehow seen as boring versus some kind of freedom uh, to live an unrestricted, supposedly more exciting life. But the thing is, you can't read much of the Bible before noticing that obedience appears to be a very important concept to God. Uh, and I'm talking about the old, both the Old Testament and the New Testament part of the Bible. It's not something that kind of was just part of the old way of God relating to his people. And I'm challenged that, that perhaps I and perhaps we have let our culture influence us into avoiding any talk of obedience. Perhaps also, uh, for some of us at least, we avoid talking about obedience not just because of the outside culture, uh, but because of a fear of, of communicating some kind of moralistic legalism. What do I mean by that? Uh, we're people of grace. We're saved by grace, by God's free gift. It's undeserved. We can't earn it. We enjoy our salvation, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done in our place. And we rightly make much of that. But perhaps that means sometimes we forget the obedience that ought to follow it. At House of Prayer last Tuesday, which is a kind of midweek group prayer group we have here, anyone's welcome to that at lunchtime. House of Prayer last Tuesday lunchtime, we were reflecting on 1 Samuel 15. Uh, in the Old Testament part of the Bible, uh, following Saul, not carrying out what the Lord had told him to do because Saul said he wanted to offer sacrifices. I th- you know, I know, God, you said to do this, but I thought, well, I could offer some sacrifices, so I won't do what you said. I'll, I'll do something slightly different. But uh, the Lord's prophet replied to Saul, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. That would have been kind of what was offered. The point is that it's an important thing to God. More important, perhaps, than we realize. Certainly more important than Saul realized. 
And yet, it's kind of a key part of what we ought to be as a church, isn't it? You know, Jesus, uh, when he kind of said what we call the Great Commission, when he sent his disciples out, the risen Jesus, sending his disciples out, the, the kind of just before the birth of the church, uh, this is what he said. This is the mission he gave to his disciples. It's in Matthew chapter 28. It's at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, and Jesus came and said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you think obedience is important to Jesus? Do you think he cares about whether uh, those who are being made disciples obey? Well, it was no surprise to his disciples. He'd already taught very plainly about it. In Matthew 7 and Luke 6, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and, and not do what I say? And he goes on to give encouragement to everyone who comes to him, comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. But he warns of the consequences for those who hear his words and do not put them into practice. For Jesus, it was important that people heard and obeyed. He said in Luke, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And we saw him saying it in John's gospel uh, a couple of months back in February. He, he had a passion for people to obey his word, to keep his word, to obey his teaching. And just in case anyone's kind of thinking uh, we're just talking about the Ten Commandments here or something like that, it, it's really not that simple. It's far more comprehensive than that. To be a disciple of someone in, in the kind of culture and in the way in which Jesus was using the word is to become like that person. It's about a transformed life. It's not just about learning head knowledge. It's not just about enjoying the relationship. It's about growing to become like them. So it's about kind of becoming like the whole person of Jesus, all of his teaching, all of his ways. We need to be those who are growing in our obeying. And there's much more that we could be saying about this. But perhaps we want to be praying for undivided hearts, praying that the Lord would show us how, individually and together, how to be growing in obedience. And uh, finally, we want to be growing in our loving. Uh, please would you turn to one, uh, page 1154. Uh, page 1154, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Page 1154, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, and the context here is uh, some verses that are about the church functioning together like a body. Uh, each part using their, their particular gifts for the common good to build the whole body up. That's what's going on in, before this chapter and after this chapter. And we have these verses here in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read from verse 1. Well, actually, the kind of last bit of chapter 12. You'll see where I'm coming from. Anyway. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And this ought to be, shouldn't it, something that's growing as a mark of our lives individually and as us as a community. And I think kind of reading those words, you could say that everything else we do is a waste of time. If we don't have that love, both individually and if we don't have that love for each other. Everything we do it is nothing if it's not rooted in love for God and love for each other. And that's kind of part of our, our, our heart in, in this strategic priority. And we've come up with these priorities that we're going to be covering over these few weeks. But if we're not growing in our love for God, well, they're, they're all a waste of time. This is, this is really underpinning it. Love for God, love for each other is key. You might remember uh, Jesus was once asked a question. Uh, Mark records it, so does Matthew, but Mark records it in chapter 12 of his gospel, Mark 12, verse 28, uh, when one of the teachers of the law asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these, Jesus said. So if that's what Jesus thinks, that's what Jesus said, that's what we want to see. We want to be growing in our love for God, growing in our love for each other, growing in our loving. Okay. So, what might that look like? There's two challenges here, really. If we're, if we're growing in our knowing, growing in our obeying, growing in our loving, there's two challenges to this, and there's probably more than two, but there's at least two. Uh, one is we can't manufacture this. We can't manufacture this, uh, nor can we easily measure it. We can't manufacture this. But as a leadership, we want to attempt to work together as a whole church to create an environment and culture in which this kind of growth is nurtured and flourishing in people's lives. The goal is a culture of discipleship. Uh, We need uh, some intentionality to get there. Uh, We're working uh, on our structures to make, make sure our structures support this growth. We think about resources to help it. But it's a culture of making and growing disciples that we're aiming for. And actually, it does follow, and we'll, we'll cover more about this in, in, in future weeks. But it does follow that this is also about making disciples. It's about mission. You cannot separate discipleship and mission. But we'll say more about that another time. And as we asked the church to pray about this last year, one of our global mission partners suggested, everyone, we, we kind of said, well, you know, ask for, for input and wisdom on discipleship. 
And one of our global mission partners suggested everyone should be able to answer two questions. Who is discipling me and who am I discipling? Perhaps if we are all able to answer those questions, perhaps we've got some way towards having a culture of discipleship. I'm not sure uh, we're there yet. But perhaps those questions could be helpful questions for us. Who is discipling me and who am I discipling? Perhaps that's something to aim for. Uh, This is similar to a metaphor that we found helpful in one of our elders' discussions on this area, uh, this illustration of a climbing partner. If you're kind of heading up a mountain with someone, who's your climbing partner, your climbing buddy, who's going to help you get to the top, maybe sometimes pull you up a bit uh, and, and help you along? Please help me to grow. We want to be saying to each other, please help me to grow, to love Jesus more and live a life that's fruitful. For some people, the natural place for this would be their home group. Home groups have a significant role to play in the discipleship life of the church. Others would appreciate different types of of discipling relationships already in the life of our church. Some do this uh, through reading groups, some through prayer triplets and small groups, uh, others through breakfasts. Uh, Some have found um, purpose-written books like uh, like Multiply is one, Helpful. Uh, If you want any of the details of any of these, come and ask me afterwards. Uh, Others have greatly appreciated courses like Formation School, a a course designed about how do you grow as a a disciple-making disciple. So we want to kind of aim for this culture. The the final thing I want to say is the difficulty of measuring it. Um, Some of us might be useful to, uh, uh, used to, sorry, to uh, key performance indicators, KPIs, uh, in other parts of our lives and work. Uh, maybe that's uh, maybe you don't call them that either. Uh, that could be what marks you get for your coursework or exams. That's a, a key performance indicator, isn't it? Your performance is indicated by whether you got good marks or not. Or maybe that's how much stuff you sell, how much profit you generate, how many people view, like, or share your online content, how many people you help, how quickly your patients are treated, how short your waiting list is, at what level your students' grades improve by. What quantity of widgets you make in a given time? How many callbacks do you get to receive prob- to, to sort problems after you've um, installed some system or whatever? But uh, it's quite difficult to find those key performance indicators in our growth as disciples. It's not quite so straightforward. But here's a few. Maybe a healthy prayer life is a key indicator, both as individuals but also a community prayer life. Praying with each other as well as praying for each other. Maybe, as we grow in these things, maybe more of us will be meeting more often in twos or threes or small groups to pray together. Maybe more of us will see heartbeat as a a key core part of our community life together. Maybe, uh, so that's prayer, maybe also as another indicator, the topic of our conversation with each other will also be an indicator. Uh, Whether that's when we meet up in public places, at a coffee shop or whatever, or when we talk over over drinks on a Sunday morning. What stories are we excited about? What do we choose to share with each other? Perhaps these things will be indicators of of our spiritual health in this way. Maybe more of us will be meeting more regularly in home groups or, or other forms of discipleship group. And maybe an early morning breakfast before work to, to talk with one or two close friends for just one hour about how we're doing at following Jesus 
and what that's looking like in our lives. Maybe we'll even see our ministry teams and projects resourced fully and new ministries developing as more of us learn to serve how our master served. More of us learn to, to give ourselves in the way that he gave himself. We'll certainly see an increasing evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. It's in Galatians 5, if you want to look at that later. But uh, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We'll see these things growing among us. It's exciting, isn't it? It's attractive. Disciples growing, being transformed into the likeness of the one we're disciples of. And if we want to be a community of growing disciples of Jesus, a few things will follow. We'll be people who study the person of Jesus. We can't physically follow him around in the way that the first disciples could. But we can do the next best thing. We can study him closely in the scriptures in which he's made himself known to us. And as we study Jesus, we'll observe the pattern he shows us for the fullest human life. Life as the creator intended it. As we learn that we'll, as we learn that, we'll learn to embrace that life for ourselves with the help of His Spirit. We'll see tangible change in our lives. Sometimes slow, maybe. Sometimes wobbly. Sometimes maybe even dropping back a bit. But the big picture will be one of disciples who are becoming more and like, more and more like their Master. As the Spirit produces fruit in us. The children of the Father growing to become like their Father. The disciples of their master being transformed into his likeness. I don't know about you, but, but as I think about that, I, I think I'm so aware I need help with this. I'm sure you do too, actually. And in God's great design and plan, he calls us into community. He knows we'll grow better if we grow together. So we want Portsmouth Church to be a community of disciples of Jesus who are growing in their knowing, in their obeying, and they're loving. Do you want to be part of that? <laughs> Good. And uh, as we do that, as we grow in our knowledge of God our Father, his Son who makes him known to us and his Spirit who does this work, we might find that our hearts are warmed up to worship. Part of our response of worship will be that we grow in obedience, uh, offering our whole lives in worship. Part of our response of worship will be that we uh, increasingly find delight in reflecting on who God is, what he's done and what he'll do. We increasingly find delight in adoring him and bringing our adoration to him. But a key part of our response will be our our corporate or our community worship life. Uh, A really important part of which is our sung worship. We're not just singing songs together. Uh, At least that's not the heart of, of what we're seeking to do. We intentionally meet together to praise together the one who is worthy of every drop of adoration we can muster. And as we reflect on this, we might be thankful to to God for those who serve and bless us in this way. Our gifted musicians and singers and audiovisual operators and the people who compile large print words for, for those who struggle to see them on the screen. Maybe we think of the songwriters themselves, although they're not here. But uh, yet, but um, we're, we're growing in this, and we realise that our love is increasing. Uh, yes, for each other, but especially for God, our Father, God the Son, Jesus, and His Spirit. Uh, I'm tempted to call it a vicious circle of worship, uh, but uh, we perhaps need a more positive word than vicious. Maybe it's like a snowball, snowballing worship. 
In a sense that a ball of snow rolling down a snowy hill picks up more and more snow as it goes. And so our worship kind of picks up more and more in this circle of worship. That's our desire anyway. As a leadership, uh, we think that this underpins everything else we're talking about in terms of these priorities. Uh, and that's what we're seeking to go with. Anyway, we're going to uh, respond in worship, in sung worship now. And uh, as we kind of uh, reflect on this and think about God who is our good father, who loves us. Uh, we kind of have that certainty of being loved by him. And he calls us deeper still into that love.